I think this is really an exciting time where creativity is basically unleashed, both in uh, synthetic media, human faces, person that does not exist, and also prompt generated images and styles and all of these kind of things are coming together and people are getting used to basically consuming stuff that is automatically generated and creativity is basically changing. People might be frightened. And I think that uh, we will use it for good and for misuses and we'll adjust as going forward. But technology is moving at a fast pace. So, of course, there is it's a whole spectrum and we're exploring this spectrum. And I think it's a very interesting place to be. Welcome to Practical AI, a weekly podcast making artificial intelligence practical, productive, and accessible to everyone. Subscribe now. If you haven't already, head to practicalai.fm for all the ways. Special thanks to our partners at Fastly for delivering our shows super fast to wherever you listen. Check them out at Fastly.com. And to our friends at Fly.io. We deploy our app servers close to our users, and you can too. Learn more at Fly.io. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Practical AI. This is Daniel Whitenack. I'm a data scientist with SIL International, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Chris Benson, who is a tech strategist at Lockheed Martin. How are you doing, Chris? I am doing okay, although I have to confess this uh, a few days ago, I took a fall while rollerblading, and so I'm on <laughs> hydrocodone for the pain on oh, that. And wow. So I could say absolutely anything. I'm really interested in this conversation even more now. One thing I'll finish by saying is I discovered that when it comes to rollerblading, I am a deep fake. I am not. <laughs> I am not a talented rollerblader. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Well, speaking of of those deep fakes, we're going to dive into a much deeper conversation around this topic that we've mentioned. So, Chris, we've we've talked about deep fakes a few different times. I think it's it's come up. I think the wider even non-AI people are aware of this technology and in some of the things that have been created. But today we're really privileged to have with us Lior Hakim with us from uh, Our One, who is the uh, CTO at Our One. And uh, he's going to be talking to us all about this technology and, and what they're doing with it. Welcome, Lior. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And uh, we can dive right in and speak about AI and deepfakes at large and what we are doing. Yeah, for sure. Um, maybe just starting with that, like when someone asks you, what is a deep fake? You mentioned in a conversation, what is your explanation of what a deep, deep fake is? Yeah, so basically what uh, we're trying to do is uh, virtual human and to humanize the connection and how we can communicate with machines, basically. Because today we are very used to text, pages, and then frozen video. And that is changing and interactions with machines is actually in the future will be different than what we experience now. And defects uh, or other technologies, synthetic media or other names that are named like this is basically some bridge point of how we interact or ingest information and communicate with machines. So I think that's exciting. 
Yeah. And I guess some people are probably aware of things maybe they've seen on the internet where, you know, I think there've been ones with like Elon Musk or, or other people where people have created a video of Elon Musk saying something, but it's, it's a, it's a synthesized video. And I know that that's maybe something that comes to my mind when I think of deep fakes. Like I was saying, there's many people even outside of the AI community that understand that AI is able to create these very powerful and compelling videos, whether they're for misinformation or for good good purposes, AI is sort of starting to impact people's like content that they're viewing on social media or wherever. How have you seen that develop? And from your perspective, how do you see the trend and how AI is influencing like the creative side of what people are doing with with video and other things? I think this is really an exciting time where creativity is basically unleashed both in uh, synthetic media, human faces, person that does not exist, and also prompt uh, generated images and styles and all of these kind of things are coming together and people are getting used to basically consuming stuff that is automatically generated and creativity is basically changing. I think that uh, there are, of course, with every technology that comes about and you People might be frightened or un, uh, not used to yet to these types of things. And I think that uh, we will use it for good and for misuses and we'll adjust as going forward. But technology is moving at a fast pace. And uh, later on, we'll talk about, of course, how what we are doing. But I think that a general thing to, th- to consider is uh, maybe personas in the context of deepfakes. So we have those conf- personas. I don't uh, fully subscribe to the notion of a fake and real. Because I think me in real life and me in social media and other stuff like that might be different. I might present different things. So I think it's a whole spectrum of uses and misuses. And definitely some things can be unusual. Sometimes maybe I would like someone else to, to be able to use my persona for some cases, like, I don't know, people on commercials or lending my image for a character in a movie that I'm playing, having the writer's text speak it and have the director direct me. And then in other cases, I might be more uh, frightened if something that I didn't meant to be to happen, I see myself speaking something that I don't know. So of course, there is it's a whole spectrum. And we're exploring this spectrum. And I think it's very interesting place to be. You know, the way you started that explanation was fascinating to me because I think so many people are introduced to the topic of deep fakes by some of the nefarious things that that get popularized, you know, in media reports and such, news reports. But you you talked about it in terms of kind of the way we're interacting with computers, sort of that user experience to some degree maybe. And I found that really interesting because though I'm in the defense industry now, I spent over a decade in the in the creative digital marketing space. And so and we were all about personas and I don't think I had really adjusted my way of thinking about deep fakes to think about really focusing on the interactions versus some of these these other ways that we've seen, which tend to be more on the negative side. So could you talk a little bit about that for a moment? Because you've kind of reset my perspective. How can deep fakes 
take us forward in the years to come in terms of how those interactions with automated systems play out you know what's different and what should we what should we expect as as the normal as we're looking at at some of the possibilities over the next few years so i think your likeness the way you look the way you sound the tone of your voice the style your gestures everything is kind of like your set of skills that you're regularly put for work for other people. You go to work, you give your content, and then those types of traits, you will be able basically to digitize them and then put them to use in the context that you feel is suitable for what you want. For example, you will be able to capture yourself, digitize yourself like an avatar, you can think about, uh, I don't know, Bitmoji, okay? You directly design the avatar like yourself, and then you put it to use, not as yourself. And the same thing uh, can happen with real-life capture video or with versions of yourself, filters that make you more uh, attractive or more happy or if you don't want to put makeup every day, you can just jump in, hop into a, a meeting or a sales presentation, looking as your best self uh, from your home with all the work from home and all, all those kind of things. I'm just giving a few examples, not to, to be too abstract. Well, thank you. That yeah. whole thing, I face for radio here. So yeah, I mean, that's that sounds fantastic. <laughs> like we're sitting now, you know, we're, we're casual and then people can see us talking in a nice uh, studio, not just listening to audio and enjoy everything without the necessary needs for us to cut our head and shave and do whatever we do to present ourselves. So our likeness, uh, our tone of voice, and how we present ourselves, our persona, how we perceive ourselves, basically can be digitized and then put to use. And uh, to, uh, if we can control, we can, of course, control it by ourselves and have maximum control over the content that we deliver through our digitized uh, character. And also we can lend those characters to other people to put content through us if we think we can affiliate ourselves with that content, if we trust those people. So it's about creating trust creating uh, channels for people and communities and then putting them to use. This is one side of the creator. Like I own my likeness. I own my, what I say and how I've been perceived. And then the other thing, the other side we are considering is the audience. Of course, the audience might want to see uh, me in this podcast or might want to see someone else giving this podcast with another voice that he likes, with another face that uh, fits him, or even with another language to be translated. And all of those traits, all of those uh, modalities will be available in the future. You can consume the content at your pace, at your language, with the like, with uh, we call it pleasant interactions. So we will be able, uh, by digitizing people likeness and the way we communicate with each other, to, uh, for content to be delivered through machines. I'm picking up on a sort of, I guess, a trend that, that you've been kind of alluding to, which is the fact that I think where this technology has been maybe misapplied is where it's sort of not accessible to a wider audience and there's a sort of concentration of who can use it and who can't use it. But as you sort of make tooling like the tooling that you're developing and give people sort of that ha don't have technical skills to like spin up a GPU instance 
and like run TensorFlow, uh, you know, in a distributed way across a cluster and all this stuff. Like as soon as you give like a, a kind of wider audience the ability to create with these tools, they sort of create their own persona and they have control over that. But if they're not able to like access that technology, then there's an imbalance of like who can use it and who who can't, which kind of might produce some some misusage. Because I'm thinking even of like audiobooks, it's like a non maybe this is a this predates like the deep fake scenario, but like for a long time with audiobooks or with like things I was lis- listening to on my on my phone, I could switch a voice potentially like, oh, I want to hear, you know, or, or like Google Maps is a good example of this, right? Like I can change the voice that's going to talk to me from Google Maps. And that's like a preference thing on my end, right? Now, I'm sure that there's some complicated technology behind it, but the control decision on like what is pleasant to me, like you were saying, is being made by me and maybe not by someone else. So how do you view the kind of, I guess, the shift between, you know, what changes when the technology gets out of the hands of maybe people like are talking here that maybe know how to spin up a notebook and train a model and those that have no tech skills, but the the technology is appealing to them and on the creative side, what changes when we get this into the hands of that kind of audience? I think it's a, it's incredible shift in creativity in the ability of people to communicate their ideas and basically to, to manifest what they know, what they think, either through text, through prompt with reference images, everything that's happening. And I think it's something that is happening with our industry, with the state of the tech, not only with uh, synthetic media and uh, virtual humans, but also with image generation and prompt invoked image generation. I think everything is very restricted now because the owners of technology is trying to, they know that there is risk and they're a little bit afraid of what might happen and they don't know. So it's growing and it's opening the community. I think, of course, I can't avoid stable uh, diffusion and everything that's happening there. I think it's super interesting that it's going to be open. And I think in the end, what you said about the ebooks is super interesting that people can listen to. I think we're coming from the angle that not only you can choose the voice, but you can also subscribe to have your voice read whatever books you're want or willing to read. And then Chris might listen to those books in your audio and you might be rewarded in some way for this. So this whole marketplace of skills and traits that we have is basically, I think, one of the things that is being built. And I think generally that uh, technology is adapting and we find good uses and misuses. As I said before, I think the same we're experiencing with social media, with groups, uh, moderation and stuff like this. So it's gradually expanding into our culture, changing and reaching our culture. And I think the future will be exciting.
Lior, I um, I think there's there's a ton of things to explore in in this uh, on this topic. Before we get too far, I would love to kind of give people an intuition for like what is possible with this technology and how. So the scenario I have in my mind is, let's say sometimes Chris is out of town and I want to record a podcast with Chris, but he's not, he's not present. So I, wanna, I want to work with Chris to create a virtual Chris. And then when Chris is gone, I can just type replies to myself and then talk to virtual Chris uh, back and forth. I mean, let's say Chris has given me permission to do this. You have very low aspirations, Daniel, I just gotta say. <laughs> Could you explain, Leor, like what technology enables that? Like how would, like from a technical side, what's needed to be put into place in order to materialize that scenario? Yes, so we have a language, written language, which is very easy and we have a, an easy way of inputting language into the machines basically and then we can take them and transform them into voice with capturing the voice there is voice cloning a lot of uh, stuff is happening in this field there are many companies great companies and other open source projects making this happen with a few voice samples we can have text to speech engine which basically creates the audio of Chris in that scenario. And then with other systems, we basically can take the audio in whatever language that was generated by the text-to-speech and create those this speech basically to the image of Chris speaking it in real time if we are a, a vlog. And basically, we can create... And the field is developing, but we can create types of looks for Chris. We can create uh, more uh, emotions or sentiment <laughs> in his speech. And it's really, I see it as like we are in the early days, but basically on our platform and platform like ours, people can just jump in, write the text, choose characters, choose voices, choose languages, hit the create button. And then as you said, invoke a few GPUs in the cloud and within uh, minutes, if not seconds, you get a video uh, or a stream of that actual experience happening. And I think it's, it's amazing. And for the audience, so we can see each other, uh, even though you're only hearing the audio and he saw the, the look on my face. So the, the question I was wanting to ask was like, I love the picture you're painting of what's possible going forward. To get there, there's kind of, you know, going back to kind of the 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 ideas of of trust and authenticity and stuff to get people to to see the positive on that, because it's very easy to see the scary sides of, you know, kind of that creativity, I think, in most people's minds, because that's been their first exposure to the field. But you've shown us that we can really take advantage of creativity and kind of optimizing situations. So how how do you bring people along on that so that they understand that it's something worth engaging in? And I'll give you a brief analogy that's not directly in this field, but it, it's kind of close. Like the field that I'm in now, I know that we are moving into an age where automation can fly airplanes much better and much safer. And Daniel and I were just talking about this in our last episode, then human pilots will be able to, and I say that as as a human pilot also, but getting people to trust 
their lives quite literally into that and in the context of deep fakes to trust that they can they can take that step and and be part of that creative process and enrich their lives and see all the benefits it seems like that will be a challenge to kind of bring people fully along the path in a broad sense not just specific use cases but but in a broader thing any thoughts on how we navigate that kind of culturally and you know as as, as humans together what we are trying to do is create uh, positive use cases and positive and just uh, let people see the positive uses of such things. And actually, in our company, we see a lot of people that want to become characters and have their own character. And we communicate in work with our own characters, with one another sending, you know, Slack messages or videos and stuff like that and having ourselves on the platform and be able to create that. And aside from that, we have a lot of people asking, when can I be my characters? Oh, those are early adopters. And I think as things play out and those use cases are out there and people see other people appear in content and they see it's safe and it's uh, put to good use and are being rewarded for that, I think the general positivity is... is something that is built gradually and the trust is built gradually. And I think it's a good start that we've seen the misuses before. So we know what to watch out for. And going forward, we can start to see better and better uses of the technology of, you know, it started with the top with uh, Obama or Tom Cruise or Trump or whatever examples of people frightening and then we can just build from there with the good uses and people are already in a place that might be frightened. But once they see positive uses, I think they might uh, want to subscribe to this notion and join this, this basically this character economy or virtual human economy that it's, is being built. I like the idea of thinking about this like an economy. I was thinking in my own scenario, like, I've recorded videos for different like trainings and such around like AI and technical subjects in the past, which I love doing, but it is a lot of work to like get into an environment with the right lighting and arrange a person to record it and then produce the video and all of that stuff. And so there's been a lot of times where like I'll create what I think is a cool tutorial or something like that, but I'm sitting in an airport somewhere or like, you know, you know, just on my laptop, I can't record a nice video for that in an engaging way for, for an audience. But if I had this sort of virtual version of myself, I, I could see myself you know, typing out text associated with that tutorial and pairing, you know, an engaging video with a screencast or something, which is much easier to produce, right, on my on my laptop and in airport. But then I was also thinking, you kind of brought up the idea of the economy and it does seem like there is an incentive potentially for creators to do this because, well, what if I then had a group of people that, like there was sort of a brand around the content that I was creating, but there were other people that had great tutorials and they wanted to maybe submit them to my trainings 
and put my face in, in front of it. And I liked their content. So I was getting more good content, right? But maybe I incentivize them financially for part of like the trainings that people subscribe to on my platform or whatever it is, right? And so there's like this flow of this nice kind of exchange of value between the two, as long as like, I appreciate the content that they're doing and they understand that their face is not gonna be on it, but maybe they're recognized in some way, right? And I, you know, understand that like, I'm going to recognize them in some way, but my face is gonna be on it. And that's part, kind of part of the brand. So it, all of this thinking is like, it's sort of flowing through my my brain. Have we seen those sorts of like creators finding these new ways to incentivize this yet? Or would you say we're still in a stage where people are exploring potential usage, I guess? Yeah, I think people are, uh, what from what we see, are in need for uh, video content. They want rich content for their audience. And then they're looking for ways to produce this content in an easy way. And I think a lot of people don't know about this uh, technology or that it's even possible, like just typing in your text, your narrative, building up the scenes, like basically they know they can make a PowerPoint, but they don't know they can make a rich video with a character in an environment, just click a button and have a video play and put it there, embed it, share it, upload it, whatever. So they're not there. I, I just wanted to say one thing because you you made me think about something about the your tutorial uh, example. So think that you can record your, basically what we, we you are able to do is record your first tutorial and then get it into the system, transcribed into text, and then you can keep it updated and change characters. And the other thing is not only that some people would like to consume this content with your face, uh, some other people might want to consume this content, the same content in, in a different time or a different uh, language with another character or another uh, presenter. So those are the things that we are dealing with. So to, to extend that idea out, would you predict that like the entertainment industry, you know, and actors and actresses and um, musicians and, and such will be out there offering their brands as a form of, of interfacing with an audience? And so you might have, and I'm obviously making this up, you might want to have a, uh, like the movie Grease, you know, from way, way back and young John Travolta. And Olivia Newton-John are teaching Chris wants to your be the I'm telling you, this is pretty cool. I like this idea. Don't I, I know it sounds a little silly, but bear with me. But you're able to basically select something that is that has appealed to you, and but you could then put content out there in that context, and you could uh, you could actually have brands extended into kind of user generated content where you have kind of deep fake brands are you know supporting that. Is that I'm being a little bit silly for fun, but like I'm not being too silly. Is that kind of, is that what you see in terms of this economy going forward? Yeah, I think like everything uh, with economies, uh, there will be price fluctuations. And of course, famous people, A-listers and B-listers and everyone else will take part in this economy once it's grown and we've grown the trust and the ability to control where you're appearing and what are you appearing at what price or at what reward. I think it's already happening today. Like 
celebrities, uh, Hollywood A-lister or, or stuff like that, they are advertising things in different countries that they might not advertise in their countries because it's other language and stuff like that. So, and I think if the, this technology can help them expand those reach and control where I'm appearing, at what prices, when I'm appearing, what is the content I'm delivering? And if we can build the structures to make these uh, transactions flow, we can definitely make it work. I think I would uh, participate. I'm now giving my content and my voice to this uh, podcast, of course, and I might be able to participate with my voice in other in other places and give the content that I want to give to other places, not necessarily with my voice or my appearance or stuff like that. And then everything, the modalities of the content and the dimensions of the content will be basically just transactions and will be assimilated to be consumed by the viewership in the best manner. And this is that pleasant interactions that we mentioned before. Everything will be more programmatic and will be consumed at the right place in the right time with the right delivery of the right content. This is what we think about. We've talked a lot about the sort of technology in in general. Like we've talked a lot about text, sort of natural language processing on the podcast. We've talked also about like uh, speech to to text and text to speech sort of things. Recently, I know we had uh, Joshua Meyer on from uh, Koki. Uh, they have great tooling around that. But this element of like once you have synthesized voice and then like pairing it with a uh, avatar that sort of has mouth movements that are matching up with the voice. That's something we haven't really explored from the the technical side. Could you kind of catch us up on like, what are the state of the art kind of models uh, related to that sort of interaction? And like, what sort of data do you need to have available to successfully do that sort of operation? So we're gathering basically a video data of people speaking in different languages, different people with different appearances in different angles and stuff like that. And then we label the data with uh, landmarks and with uh, resolution. We align the data and we prepare everything else. And then we basically, what we do is we create a bridge or a latent space that basically can encode the audio and decode the face, and then we can reconnect the audio in the back. And of course, we're using a, mainly guns and exploring different things. And in our field, the main, the main interesting thing is uh, video and its uh, stability and temporal stability, uh, things that we uh, is not required in other fields. For example, image generation, now we see on different uh, platforms with DALI and Stable Diffusion and others, you have a seed basically, and a seed create the, the generation and then morphing between seeds is not always flowing. So we are dealing with a lot of temporal stability 
and correctness of the of the expression interesting yeah and I'm guessing that this sort of um it's very interesting to me like how audio is represented within AI models and oftentimes like more like image than it is anything else in terms of like spectrograms and that sort of thing but then like when I think of audio and language and video you're gonna have a certain sampling rate for that video you're gonna have a certain sampling rate for the audio those are likely going to be different the sort of dimensionality of those things is is gonna be different and maybe even different between different samples so I was wondering you know just generally as you've kind of dug into this space what are some of like the I guess the data challenges that you've experienced working with audio and video data in the AI space and for those out there that are kind of digging into these newer models that are either processing audio or video or both, what recommendations could you make to people in terms of like the challenges that you face in kind of really digging into this topic? Yeah, so I think to answer your question, the biggest challenge with data as I see it is data pipelines. Once this data is captured, which is usually kind of easy, all having the infrastructure to basically normalize, to clean, to align, and to label this data and bring it into the GPU. So I think the infrastructure for doing it and updating it is super important for us. And aside from that, I think that clean data is uh, is of absolute, uh, like labeling and cleaning the data is of most important. And for us, uh, challenges that we might face is, for example, uh, audio noises and stuff like that, that are not necessarily or a different person speaking and not necessarily the person in the video that is captured or aligned. So those are the kind of things that we interesting. But as a general suggestion for all the listeners, I think thinking about the pipeline on how the end-to-end pipeline of how to acquire the data and then process it all the way from the camera or whatever you're gathering from a link on the internet until it gets to the GPU through the data loader, we see it as one uh, big challenge and trade-offs along the way. Yeah, and I guess it's likely that you like in terms of supporting the creation of an avatar for a specific person, for an actor in a studio, you might have a lot of control over over a lot of that and be able to closely couple that. But as soon as you're passing things over the internet, I'm sure that there's degradation and uh, there's like all sorts of things that you could come across. So yeah, that's, that's uh, super interesting. I'm wondering, so we, we've talked a lot about, about digital humans or virtual humans and this sort of avatar creation, you've kind of given a little bit of hints of like what's available and what you've built right now. I'm wondering if you could maybe summarize sort of like what the state of what you've built is right now. And then maybe a couple things about what you're excited about, you know, looking into the next, uh, next couple of years, what you think is possible with the sort of features that might be added there. Yeah. Um, first of all, we have our uh, SaaS offering at uh, live in production. You can register, you can try our system. 
there's a free trial. You can create videos, you can select avatar, you can check out the technology with voices and everything. And we have subscriptions model and you can continue and make videos on the, on the go whenever you need them. Well, our focus is uh, business use. We really think the world of work is a huge opportunity to create trust. And we believe that future generations are used to consume social media or social video and so and and such and are expecting the world of work to change from text to be more rich and more engaging and more pleasant and interactive. And this is where we're going, this world building. You can definitely uh, sign up and check us out. And can you repeat the, the second part of the question? Yeah, I was wondering, like, kind of looking to the future, and maybe Chris, you had something as well, but there's this sort of like text to avatar creation and the variability and the creativity that you can do with that. What are maybe some of those things that are on your mind? And you're not committing to anything by any means, but like, what are those things on your mind? Like, well, if we could enable this in the product, that would level it up a lot. And, you know, what are the things on your mind in that regard? Yeah, definitely. So I won't uh, expose everything that we're going to launch sure. soon, but I'm just saying exciting things are in the way we are super excited about prompt accessibility, image generation from prompt, and people are enabling to add media to those videos by the text or by the narrative, recognizing this narrative and making prompt more accessible. And prompt engineering, which is a big uh, thing now in the industry of how you create the, the imagery that accompanies your narrative and create a compelling video in a rich environment. This is one thing we're very focused on. I think uh, environments in general, 3D environments and rich videos and other things that create a whole experience, like basically watching TV. Uh, I think those experience will get closer there. And we're super excited about more uh, geeky stuff, which is like uh, inversion. If you're familiar with that, that's embedding, referencing words into the prompt and then creating the using those objects or basically translating your uh, likeness to another domain. For example, someone that looks like me just with hair. You're not uh, seeing me on the podcast, but I'm bald. So all, <laughs> all those kind of things and, and ability to change something that looks like you, but uh, have some of your traits. Yeah, sir. Someone who looks like me, who is able to rollerblade successfully and well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I wonder too, this, I, I don't know if this is some of what you're getting at, but also kind of like uh, I could see how some of that could be used to where like you you have an avatar and the voice, but you could also bring in like, if you're talking about like a car driving down a street and then this happens, like that's sort of like generating this sort of like, almost like B-roll <laughs> for your video uh, would, would seem quite interesting to me because there's so much of that video out there and so in the same way that a lot of this text to image stuff is happening, it seems like you could generate some really compelling kind of transition shots or, or whatever, whatever that might be. I'm wondering, uh, as we sort of um, get closer to the end here, one of the questions that our listeners might, might ask is, 
you know, from an expert in the field who's working in this every day, as you mentioned, this technology is only going to get more compelling, like TV quality, very, you know, high resolution, very compelling, you know, as some would write in the language space, like very coherent output. How would you recommend people think about like, how do I, we're, it seems like we're getting into a space where I can't tell what's fake and what's real. You know, what would you tell people in terms of like, as I navigate the world and I look on social media and all that, is it even relevant anymore to think about like telling the difference between those two? Or how would you recommend people kind of think about that certain aspect of kind of the cultural shift in this that this technology is causing? I don't know how philosophical to get with this question, but basically a lot of the discussion that we are having is, of course, uh, Photoshop retouching and how people appear on social media and filters and all the stuff. It's a build up to this discussion, but we're thinking about uh, AI at large. And we like to think about not like, what are we teaching AI and what is it learning? And we think about what AI is teaching us in some sense. And then we think about what is it learning? And then the bias in the models, it's actually a reflection of the culture. So we think basically it's trying to, to show us or to teach us in some sense what we are, and then we can choose and build our culture in with creating, it's a two-way communication from these new technologies to our culture. And I think it will definitely be exciting. And as a culture, we will decide where we moderate it in some sense. Yeah, that's really, really good input. I, uh, I think this is one of those conversations where like, the possibilities seem many and there's definitely going to be some things that like you say, like, you know, cultures, you know, governments, societies will have to will have to wrestle with. But I think on the whole, like I'm I'm very excited to dive into some of these things. I'm really excited to jump over and, and create a few videos. I, I want to share a couple of things in my own Slack channel and see see what people's responses and, and if they recognize that this is a, this is a generated video. But um, yeah, I, I really appreciate you taking time, Lior, to join us. It's been an awesome conversation and looking forward to the amazing things that Hour One is, is coming out with and hope to stay in contact and have you back on the show both uh, in real life or as a virtual human, however you prefer. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you guys. All right, that is our show for this week. If you dig it, don't forget to subscribe. Head to practicalai.fm for all the ways. And if Practical AI has benefited your life, pay it forward by sharing the show with a friend or a colleague. Word of mouth is the number one way people find shows like ours. Thanks again to Fastly for fronting our static assets, to Fly.io for backing our dynamic requests, to Breakmaster Cylinder for the beats, and to you for listening. We appreciate you. That's all for now. We'll talk to you again on the next one. Thank you.